Isaiah 9, verses 2 to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the, ver- the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, Most Excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And the third reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sothenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Jesus Christ. For in him you have enriched, been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech, with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gifts as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. You will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, thanks, Gary and uh, Karen. Um, there's an outline there to follow, and three um, readings we'll just be touching on uh, today as well as we, uh, we get into things. So uh, let me pray. Merciful Heavenly Father, as we come now uh, just to consider the confidence, the certainty, the hope uh, that you give us in Christ, uh, that we can know about through the scriptures and by your spirit. We pray now that you would please do this work of grace in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, that we might leave here built up, greatly encouraged and more confident to live for you and your glory. Amen. 
Well, it's that time of the year when you start to think about the year that's been and the year that's coming. And what do you believe about life, death, meaning and God? Why do you believe what you believe? We've just witnessed Vivian saying she wants to follow Jesus as her Lord, God and Saviour for the rest of her life. Now, in a country where what we believe about God has changed so much in the last 25 years, I wonder what you think about Vivian's decision. Over the last 25 years, an Australian author called John Marsden, he surveyed what 100 Australians believe about life, death, meaning and God. As you can imagine... There's a whole banquet um, of beliefs that have been written about. He gave them 100 words. Journalist and TV personality John Casimir, this is something that he wrote. There is no meaning of life. It's a never-ending corridor to nowhere. We are replicating DNA. And that's it. Alternatively, Tim Costello, former CEO of World Vision Australia, He writes, I believe there's more to life than the material things around us. I identify in the person of Jesus Christ, a unique spiritual force. I believe he's more than just a man. I find his life so inspiring and his death and resurrection overwhelmingly redemptive. But how might you sum up what you believe in a hundred words? I wonder, have your beliefs changed? over the last 10 years. What you believe, why you believe what you believe, if Jesus is to be believed, (laughs) impacts our life now and will especially impact where we spend eternity. After all, if there is a God behind it all, it suggests that you and I are intended, that we're part of a greater purpose and plan. But if, on the other hand, we are nothing more than worm food, that you and our children are just meaningless dust on the floor of eternity, as someone has put it. What's the point of it all? Today, Vivian has publicly declared her belief in Jesus. We've heard uh, of her timid joy um, in front of us all because of the certainty that she has in Jesus Christ that she's learned from the Bible. We've celebrated some of our children um, and, youth, and youth graduating to their uh, next season in life. And I'm wondering, you know, what does the world, the kids in the schoolyard, the teachers in their schools, what do they think about their choices? So I read just this week uh, that legislation making it illegal, illegal for churches or Christians, especially pastors, to pray with a child or teenager who is confused about their gender or their identity has just been passed in the lower house of Victoria without debate. How does it make you feel? I mean, this is the increasingly secular and, and, and if you like, uh, profoundly post-Christian society uh, we seem to be moving towards. Societies that our children and grandchildren are going to be growing up in. So it's going to be tougher and more isolating for our young people in our churches especially to not just believe in Jesus, but to keep believing in Jesus and not be ashamed to speak up for Jesus, to take their stand. How do we help them guard and grow the foundations of their beliefs to avoid them losing their faith? Well, it's why Luke wrote his gospel, and I, didn't, I just brought Luke's gospel out this morning, <laughs> but uh, he wrote his gospel 
uh, one of four, of course, and his sequel, Acts. It's to give his readers, uh, anyone who would bother reading his gospel, certainty. In a world, well, it's always been lots of uncertainty and lots of reasons to wonder about the future. And in a world where Jesus promised that people would be against him and his followers. And so here are three truths, three truths, um, three major points in the outline there for Vivian, but also for us just to be reminded of today and each day that there is no truer truth than Jesus, no firmer foundation than Jesus and that we can be building our lives on than the scriptures. And the first truth is this, that to be a Christian is to not be alone. We just heard from Jesus uh, he is with us. He's with us. Some of the last words that he, he, uh, he spoke. But of course, billions of Christians around the world believe that Christmas and the Christianity, it's so much more than just a story. Christianity claims that God has definitively revealed himself in history, in the person of Jesus Christ, and that God's left a, a library, a library of verifiable eyewitness evidence for us. As we read, it's why Luke wrote his gospel there. Let me just read those first four sentences again. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. See, what's Luke saying here? Well, he's saying that there are other accounts based on eyewitness testimonies about Jesus. Uh, Luke was a doctor. Um, Luke wasn't an eyewitness uh, to the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, Luke actually first appears in chapter 16, verse 11 of Acts and pops up for the rest of Acts joining the Apostle Paul on his second and third missionary journeys. Uh, Paul refers to Luke um, in Colossians chapter 4 as well. Luke tells us that he has carefully investigated everything from the beginning, gathering eyewitness testimony from people who were there. A number of historians, just for an example, um, believe that, that actually Luke talked to Jesus' mother, Mary, to know that Jesus was wrapped in you know, swaddling cloths and just the detail that's in his Gospels. Uh, the, the, the geography, the people, uh, the places, even uh, the weather of the day. Uh, it, there's so much um, uh, factual history that's there in his Gospel. Now, we heard that he's writing for a person called Theophilus and those like him. Uh, again, the name Theophilus, it means one who loves God. We think he's a real person, possibly the patron who, who paid for, for, for Luke to write. Um, it was very expensive to do that. One who loves God. Now, perhaps like some of us here, uh, like Theophilus, you've heard some things about Jesus. Uh, you've been taught about Jesus dying for your sins. He was raised bodily to life with all of God's authority to judge the living and the dead. That Jesus will one day return to save those who are waiting for him. And bring God's justice upon those who aren't. And perhaps Theophilus, like some of us here this morning, maybe aren't as confident as we once were. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning not as joyful in Jesus as you once 
were. It's become a little bit humdrum, this Christianity stuff. And it could be quite probably because you're not as certain about Jesus as you once were. He doesn't dominate your horizon in the way he once did. The busyness of life, the disruptions of COVID, the death of a loved one, the unbelief of one or more family members, uh, too much Netflix. Uh, anyway, the allure of sin, getting the better of you. See, how does Vivian and, and how do the rest of us keep firming her foundation in Christ? Well, Luke's gospel, um, he claims that the, the God of the universe, the author and sustainer of it all, has actually revealed himself in person, in flesh, in his son, in time, in place, in history. And it's a claim we're invited to examine for ourselves. See, Christianity claims something unique among world religions and philosophies. It's the only world religion and philosophy that is grounded in verifiable historical evidence that actually can be tested. It's out there in the public marketplace of history where it can be examined. This idea, it's everywhere in the New Testament. And so if you'd like to look with me just at that third reading, the third reading inside your leaflet, another follower of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, he wrote to some Christians in Corinth. And he, he writes that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Now that phrase, in accordance with the scriptures, it means according to all of God's promises that are recorded in the Old Testament part of the Bible over thousands of years, God speaking through his prophets. Jesus has fulfilled all of these promises in history. Again, we notice the eyewitness and testimony language. It's like you're in a law court, the language here. He appeared, he appeared, he appeared. And not to one person in a cave, not to one person meditating under a tree, but to Jesus appeared over many days to many people, in fact, on one occasion to more than 500 people, Many who were alive when Paul wrote this, and so they could have refuted the truth of what he was saying. See, Christian faith is not grounded um, uh, in a mystical story, you know, before the dawn of time. It, our faith doesn't rest on um, a dictation of divine words from an angel to one person in private where we just have to take their word for it. No, no, no. Christianity, it's anchored in a series of real-time events that took place in public. They were witnessed by many different people over many years. And so the foundation we stand on as Christian, it's firm, it's solid. But secondly, uh, a question that's often asked is, well, how do historians actually know that Jesus really existed? Well, as I was surprised to discover when I first um, looked started looking at the truth of Jesus, the historical truth of Jesus, some 28 years ago. Uh, the, again, the evidence is overwhelming just out there in history. So I've got two quick examples. The first is from a Jewish historian called Josephus. Uh, he wrote a history of the whole Jewish people about 30 years after Jesus. He wasn't a Christian. But this is some of the things he wrote in his history of the Jewish people. 
Jesus, a wise man, if it is appropriate to call him a man, for he did marvellous deeds. He was Messiah. And when Pilate had condemned him to be crucified, those who loved him did not abandon him, for he appeared alive again to them on the third day as the divine prophets had foretold. And then, of course, there's the Roman historians, and I'll give you an example of one called Cornelius Tacitus. He wrote the Annals of Imperial Rome in AD 115. Here's just a little bit of what he wrote. Christians derived their name from a man called Christ, who during the reign of Emperor Tiberius had been executed by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate. The very people that we meet in Luke's Gospel It's because of historical records like this uh, that mainstream historians have no doubt that the man Jesus of Christ lived and died in first century Palestine, that the gospel narrative documents are essentially historically sound. Uh, well, at least until you get up to the resurrection bit. <laughs> so point three brings us back to why Luke's gospel is verifiable historical good news that really can bring joy for us this Christmas. We read again in verses 3 and 4 of Luke 1. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. See, Luke's cure for the sceptic, the doubter, the agnostic. It's a careful investigation from the beginning. It's to, you can check out the evidence for yourself. The joy of certainty that Luke is holding out to each of us this morning, the people we'll be uh, spending Christmas with, maybe some of us are already doing that. It, it's well captured um, by Tony Morfitt. Tony Morfitt. Tony Morfitt is an Australian. He's spent his time writing scripts for Australian TV shows and documentaries. He was once a very avid and outspoken atheist. Anyway, he was challenged to pick up and read a gospel biography about Jesus Christ because he'd never done it. And this is what he said. I'd spent all my working life writing scripts which were either documentary or fiction. When I come to the gospels, I recognise that they were not fiction. They were documentary. This led Tony Morfitt to keep investigating the historical truth of Jesus, which then led him back to read the Gospels where he met the person of Jesus and he became a Christian. Now, perhaps you know people who are looking for more joy with certainty this Christmas. So we finish with four brief uh, considerations, if you like. You see, if there's more to life than meets the eye, is it a good time to just be talking more? about what you think. More than ever, we've been reminded of life's uncertainties this year. Um, let's be honest. Um, what's happening in Sydney, New South Wales at the moment? We've just been through it ourselves a few weeks back, catching our breath. We really don't know what, what, what is around the corner of a new year for us. We're not even sure if Scott and Keeley can be arriving on time. <laughs> so... We're reminded of how not in control of things we normally feel that we are in control of. We're reminded of our fragility, uh, our mortality, uh, that if we're honest, um, we, we are living life in death's waiting room. 
I was at Trinity City uh, Church last week talking with the site manager, Duncan, um, and he's just sharing how his chief helper uh, had just retired a couple of weeks ago. And he said that he, and I, I knew who he was talking about, he said, oh, he's one of the fittest 60-year-olds I know. Like, amazing. But, but then he just um, said how he died of a massive heart attack two weeks after retiring. He died, though, having put his trust in Jesus as his Lord and Saviour some years earlier, just like Vivian has done. Hayley, uh, she was a, uh, a Year 10 student at Brighton Secondary School. As she did most mornings, she was out walking her dog. And while she was waiting uh, at some lights to cross the road on a corner, a semi-trailer turned the corner. As you know, a trailer will always turn sharper than the cabin, and the trailer hit her in the head and killed her instantly. The Apostle Paul writes from Romans 15, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Real hope. Flesh and blood hope. Certain hope. The Bible is a book that drips with hope. Because the scriptures are grounded in historical flesh and blood hope. The events of that first Christmas, the events of that first Easter, Jesus' life, remind us that God has left us clues everywhere, that there really is more to life than the stresses and struggles we may be feeling at the moment. There's more to life than the disappointments and the fleeting joys of our material purchases. According to Stuart Burgess, Professor of Engineering Design at the University of Bristol in the UK, he writes, There are clues everywhere around us that support a powerful argument in favour of God's existence that is consistent with the God we meet in the Bible. That brings us to a second question. If Jesus offers us something other than other religions and philosophies can't, is it a good time just to explore the person of Jesus further? Because Jesus' resurrection, it really does change everything. It's now a pretty popular view, isn't it, that all religions essentially see the same thing? Um, but it's just a moment's reflection and, and encouraging those just to have a moment's reflection who say these sorts of things. You realise that, that there's just a few little flaws um, to their point of view. I mean, sure, there are a few similarities between religions, but the differences are so much more massive. Christianity teaches that in Jesus, God took on human flesh and became man. This idea is blasphemous in Islam. Islam teaches Jesus didn't die on the cross, but revived in the cool of a tomb. Christianity teaches Jesus did die. He rose bodily back to life on the third day. Buddhism teaches that there is no God. Hinduism teaches there are many gods or deities. They both teach reincarnation. In contrast, Christianity teaches there's one personal God who can know and enjoy. One personal God of the universe who we can know and enjoy, who has made us for relationship with him. Christianity teaches we live and die once and then face judgment before Jesus. Can you see that to claim that all religions teach the same thing or believe in the same God is actually quite disrespectful to the faithful followers of those other religions? 
but it's actually quite intolerant and I think actually quite arrogant. <laughs> to think that you might know better than faithful followers who know their scriptures and know what they believe in other religions. Of course, if Jesus is true, the claims he made to be the son of God, the way, the truth and the life, the things that he did, the miracles, if Jesus is true, he becomes that one-stop shop, <laughs> if you like the ultimate bunning store when it comes to God. I mean, you just don't need to go anywhere else. <laughs> That's it. He is the ultimate one-stop shop. You don't need to look further. Third question, if, if this is real Christianity and not a con, if it's real Christianity, not a con, is it a good time to evaluate you know, your FOMO? You might be missing out. <laughs> I keep bumping into people who have rejected Christianity or God, and as you listen to them and you know, what they think and why, and, and often there can, there can be some hurts there, but it's often because they've rejected a God or a form of Christianity that's certainly not biblical. It's something they've picked up third or fourth or fifth hand. Um, yes, they, many of them had experiences growing up that made them feel as if they were never good enough. Uh, that God was more a schoolmaster than a saviour. But friends, death is too real. Life is just too precious. We know this, don't we? To ignore King Jesus and, and his offer of eternal life. Does this not take a few hours uh, to consider the evidence of Jesus for your life. Last, the fourth question or consideration, that if faith in Jesus is not a leap in the dark, is it time to again just to consider the evidence of the man? See, what we've discovered or been reminded of this morning is that Christian faith, it's quite reasonable and rational. That biblical faith is grounded in verifiable historical evidence. What we'll see just at Christmas Day and in the coming weeks from just the opening two chapters of Luke's Gospel, we'll begin to see just how it is Jesus, this birth of Jesus, is beginning to accomplish the fulfilment of these promises, of these scriptures. Christian faith, it's not a leap in the dark, but a leap forward. A leap forward into life and a leap forward to, to secure you eternal life. A fairer definition of faith is, I think, reasonable or reliable trust. Uh, John Lennox, uh, he's Emeritus Professor of Mathematics at Oxford University, um, who I think is probably the, um, uh, the most well-thought-out uh, apologist for the Christian faith in the world. He's debated uh, you know, Richard um, um, yeah, Dawkins and yeah, Christopher Hitchens, who's now died. I mean, he's debated them all. They're all actually, you can watch them. All online. He's very um, quite fun to listen to, but he's so well thought out and so grounded in scripture. But here's just something that he, he writes in, in one of his books Faith is not a leap in the dark, it's the exact opposite. It's a commitment based on evidence. It is irrational to reduce all faith to blind faith and then subject to ridicule. That provides a very anti-intellectual and convenient way of avoiding intelligent discussion. 
at a different baptism, I was talking to a mechanical engineer uh, who was visiting part of the crowd for the day, and he was sharing how he grew up going to uh, Emmanuel College um, as a young lad, and he, he used to he grow up, eventually got a job at Holden's Car Factory, um, which no longer exists. But anyway, I, I asked him how um, attending chapel at, at his school had left him thinking about God. And he said, well, I'm probably an agnostic standing in a car park <laughs> when it comes to the question about God. An agnostic, which means I really don't know. It's like I'm standing in the car park, you know, I really don't know. Is there a God or not? Let me no disrespect, he said, because look, many people, I mean like you guys, I can see that, I mean you believe, but I guess I believe it's all oh, probably just a story. Now, friends, we've been reminded this morning that Jesus is so much more than just a story. That Jesus, it's his story. History is actually his story. That it's God's story. I asked this this chap, could Christianity be more than just a story? Um, and as we chatted some more, he shared how he hadn't got around yet as an adult, um, he was in his 30s, hadn't got around yet to reading a gospel for himself. And I was sad for him when he refused to take the gospel of Luke that I offered him that morning. But this is my encouragement to each of us this morning. It's just, as my New Testament lecturer at college said, Whatever else you're reading in the Bible, make sure you're always reading through a gospel. <laughs> Chapter a day. There's four of them. Five if you include Isaiah. Always be reading through a gospel. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Join me as I pray for us all. Merciful Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Luke's historical account of Jesus Christ. Thank you that these events concerning Jesus are historical and verifiable. Thank you that you haven't left us in the dark. Thank you that your invitation is always for anyone to come just as we are to Jesus. And that for anyone who does come, who does turn to Jesus and put their trust in him, you promise that all our sins are forgiven and that we have eternal life. Thank you that we can live each day with certainty and the quiet confidence that we are saved, we are safe and secure, simply by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, in your word alone. Finally, as we share life with family and friends and even foreigners this Christmas, may the joy of our certainty, may it overflow to others with courage as we share with them something of our hope and why we have our confidence. Amen.